Hey, this is Dave Fryer. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes, or actually we should call it Ross's Sound Notes by now. So Ross, thank you for taking time out of your day. People are going to think you're just sitting around waiting to do interviews all day long. Yeah, any excuse that I can spend some more time with you, Dave, that's all I'm looking for <laughs> in this life. So today we've got a completely different topic, and I know this is one that you're really passionate about. Um, how would you clarify this for people? Like, Why are we, why are we having this conversation today? We're having this conversation today because especially when we're doing agile transformations or any kind of transformation work, people tend to focus on managing folks or people. And what we really need leaders to do in a new agile organization is manage the system and align their people to a vision or an outcome they're trying to achieve through leadership. So really differentiating between management and leadership and where we need to do both and where we need uh, to focus in on people with the leadership aspects versus management where we're looking at systems, practices, and culture to, to make those outcomes easier to achieve. Okay. So can I throw out a hypothetical situation and see where this fits with that? Of course. Okay. So I've been on a number of gigs where go into an organization, spin up a couple teams, start helping them, you know, get their feet with Agile. And then the first thing that happens is, uh, in the sprint review, they want to know why the team's velocity is not faster. And then some senior leader offers to, and I always put this in air quotes, help the team become faster. So Yes, I've seen those things. <laughs> so where does that fit in with this leadership management? Because that sounds like they want to lead the team to being faster, but they want to do it by managing the way they work. Right. And that's where, you know, you get into, and it's not even managing the way they work, right? It's sometimes it's like having hard conversations and, um, you know, having uh, leaders come in and kind of try to tell the folks how to get faster instead of removing the blockers in the system that are making them slow. Um, and so what we want to refocus leadership on is how do we explain to everybody in the system what the outcomes we're trying to achieve are, whether it's you know, predictability, quality, return on investment, you know, whatever the goal of going agile was from a business perspective, focus and align them on that and how and make changes to the system through managing how the work flows to enable them to get faster. Whether that's revamping a standard process or, you know, changing how reporting structures work or However, we're going to tweak the system to make that better. That's different than, you know, the leadership aspect of getting folks to follow you to the end state that you want to get to. So if I was to, I mean, kind of taking a note from that, if I was to sit down with that manager that wanted to, again, in quotes, help the team, um, the advice that I might offer that, that manager is if you want them to go faster, why don't you ask them about the things that are slowing them down? And yeah, exactly. things you can do to get that stuff out of their way. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, now, whose job is it to help management see that stuff? Is it just on um, them? Is it, it is. the team? Is it like anybody in particular? Yeah, it's uh, everybody who works in the system. You know, uh, having the workflow and starting to capture metrics around how work flows will enable uh, the teams to anybody on the team with that transparency to be able to show where the issues are in the system, you know, where leadership is not really a title. You know, we, we all often think about folks being in a leadership role, 
But leadership is really the ability to motivate the folks around you to achieve something as a, as a group. And so I think when we talk about leadership, it's the qualities uh, of people and how they approach building that team inside of the system to get to the outcomes that we're trying to get to in the transformation. And the system and the practices that the system chooses to use and the culture, the behaviors that we want to change are all parts of that system. Um, and we need to manage that through metrics and rapid learning and, and all that good stuff that we do in an agile environment. Okay, so manage the system, lead the people. But there's all the people that get assigned management roles and they're expected to be leaders and they can't see the difference between the two things. Correct. And that's tough, right? Because, you know, in my perspective, manage, you know, you can be a manager and you can be a great manager and a bad leader or a junior leader or an inexperienced leader. Like you can have a title project manager, but have no uh, mature leadership qualities. And you can still do an outstanding job as a project manager um, without having those leadership qualities. But in order to be a real leader, you need to be able to inspire the folks around you to achieve an outcome, not just measure the pulse of how a project or a product is proceeding along the life cycle. So how do you, I mean, if you get somebody who's coming out of a traditional background, how do you get them to see whether or not they're actually inspiring people or to, to even understand that maybe their approach is more about command and control than inspiration? Right. I think, um, you know, my favorite military quote, and nobody ever uh, knows who said this, so I always kind of use it as a, a, an example because everybody thinks General Patton was, you know, a forced to be reckoned with. And, you know, there's that movie where he looks kind of like a crazy, you know, top down command and control type of guy. But my favorite quote of his is I never tell people how to do things. I tell them what to do and they will surprise me with their ingenuity. So when we think about when we're creating this system of delivery inside of an organization, we're creating a backlog. We're becoming predictable. And that backlog is what we need to do. And a release roadmap may be when we have to do it. So the system is telling the team what we have to do and when we have to get it done by, not necessarily telling them how to do all those things. And the team develops the system that's going to be the how do we do these things together through the transformation. And let's watch them do ingenuity-based innovative things and, and be amazed at the results. And I think that's something that nobody ever associates with Patton because of that movie yeah. where he looks uh, like George insane, C. Scott. Right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, to me, there's like two. There's two complicated aspects. To that one is that that manager or that sorry, the person in the leadership role is going to have to develop trust that they may not have because they were taught not to trust people. And the people right. that are the doers are going to have to learn to trust themselves and to take risks and chances and try to innovate because they were taught, you know, just shut up, sit in your little corner and do the thing the way we showed you to do it. Right. Right. That's exactly right. And I think the, the biggest asset leaders need is courage, you know, because they're scared that they're not going to meet the target that their, you know, executive or their shareholders or whoever expects them to meet. And usually when you're scared, 
you will make decisions and kind of regress your behaviors back to that command and control aspect because that's comfortable and that's how you got to where you are in some cases um, if you've progressed through the career ladder and that command and control mindset. And I think, uh, you know, trust is a two-way street. So the leader has to set the example by being courageous and trusting that the team inside of the system of delivery is going to do the things that they said they're going to do when they're going to do them by. At the same time, though, they need to be cognizant and aware of what's going on in that system so they can make corrections inside of the system um, to enable the system to be as efficient as possible so that, that the people inside of the system can make those commitments. And I think that's the balance. I think um, a lot of people talk about bravery and courage in the same way. Uh, I think bravery is the absence of fear. And I don't think that exists. I've met some super, you know, badass people in the military who will tell you they were scared out of their minds when they did some of the most amazing things they've ever done. And they were scared and they took that fear and they set it aside. They knew it was there and they used courage to accomplish great things. And I think that's what our, our definition of leader really needs to understand that, you know, everybody understands that there's a lot of pressure and we're, you know, scared that we're not going to meet our targets, but they need to look up in their system and see this leader who has the courage to do the right thing inside of the system and get people motivated around a goal without being that command and control, you know, daily check-in, hovering over the shoulder, pointing on the screen, you need to change this, you need to do that because most of our folks in leadership roles are, you know, five, 10, 15 years out of actually doing the work. So those folks on yeah. the keyboards are the experts in how to get the work done right now. And I've worked for a number of leaders who, I don't know why it always came back to the metaphor of a boat, but it was like, row with the rest of the team, get in the boat or get out of the boat. It was always about a boat or a ship and they were the captain <laughs> and you were going to do, they would inspire you by telling you what you, you know, what they wanted you to do. Um, and you're talking about having clarity for the team and what we're trying to achieve. I think at least it seems to me like sometimes that gets mixed up in instead of here's the vision, here's what, you know, the outcome I'm looking for. Here's the practices I want you to employ or the things I want you to do. Right. And, and leaders can be anywhere in an organization. When, when I worked at Wargaming, our uh, head guy, you know, who was in charge of all of Wargaming at the Pentagon was not um, the highest ranking person in the war game because we had participants in our war game that were, um, you know, three and sometimes four star generals or former diplomats, you know, playing secretary of state or whatever the case is to accomplish the war game. But we had to get them to do what we needed to do to test the outcomes that we were trying to test because we were informing the Air Force's strategy um, through testing different types of ways to do things or different types of equipment. We were, you know, setting the stage for how the Air Force was going to achieve air dominance going forward in their strategic plan and also what, you know, programs or tools they were going to use and employ in that strategy. And for a civilian, you know, high-ranking civilian, but a civilian and lower ranking than the participants, we had to get them to do um, things that they wouldn't normally do because the war game isn't about winning the war. It's about testing out those 
new practices, procedures, operations, you know, whatever the case is. And he always said, and, and this has stuck with me for a very long time, you know, we need to steer from the rear. We need to lead them to the right place, but they're, they need to be the ones out front making the decisions to get to the end location. And when you think about steering from the rear, um, it's really enabling those in leadership positions to be leaders and guiding the team in there's leaders in every layer of the system of delivery and guiding those leaders inside of the team to be empowered to make those decisions. And then through that, they will create the trust between the people in the system of delivery and the organizational uh, leaders to get that alignment to go forward towards achieving a single outcome. So your boat analogy is great, but the, the boat analogy, the leader on the boat is telling them how to get across the lake or whatever the case is that they're rowing towards, not telling them that we need to get across the lake and not aligning everybody in the boat to that, to that destination. My personal rule became if any leader I work for talks about a boat, I'm leaving. Um, because <laughs> it, just, it, always, it always comes down to, I mean, for me, it always has come down to that, like I'm in charge and you're my servant. Um, so we talk a lot about creating safety for teams to run experiments and things like that. But what could somebody, if there's anybody at like a senior management level, like senior leadership, C-level, whatever, listening to the podcast, they're going to have to create safety for these leaders to steer from the rear and trust the team and learn some stuff that maybe, you know, maybe some of our ideas didn't work out. There's going to be some things that mess. Um, how, how could somebody create safety for, for the managers to become leaders? Yeah. So that's a great question. I think that, you know, we need to move away from, you know, the top person making all the decisions and empowering folks inside of the system or those managers in the system to start making decisions. You know, no matter what layer you are in an organization, you may have the most information to make the right decision. And I think that in previous, you know, structures and previous org structures, the leaders are pushing decisions down and the team scrambling to figure out how to make that decision work um, through their expertise. And what, what the real mindset shift is here from managing people to leading people is enabling that decision-making at the right level to make the best decision. And sometimes that's the, the new engineer who just, you know, got out of school and came from some, uh, you know, fancy startup internship that has better information about how to do cloud native design than, you know, the CIO does because the CIO never lived it. They just read an article about it. And that decision may or may not be right that the CIO makes, but the employee is the one that has to pick up the slack if the decision's wrong and figure out how to make the decision right in a creative way, where really what we want to do is say, okay, we need to get cloud native. And that's like a C-level decision, right? Um, maybe cost, maybe coming from the CFO from a cost perspective, maybe coming from a CEO from a market expansion perspective and the rapid ability to scale a solution. Um, but the person doing the coding that has that cloud native experience will have the best decision on how to get that done. Um, and creating this master plan from the top down and then having the employees shuffle around and try to, you know, 
under the table innovate to get that solution to actually work maybe we should just start by asking them you know how they would do it and you know give them the space to experiment um as they're building out the solution i think that's kind of where you're going with that question yeah yeah so there's one of the things that i'm gonna link to in the show notes is a podcast i did with marty bradley a few weeks ago where he gives a great example of that where he was given like an objective to meet and he figured out how he wanted to meet it and he told the team what to do. And eventually one of the guys on the team said, why are we doing this? And when Marty explained it to him, the guy found a much faster, more elegant, higher performing way to get the work done once he finally understood what was, you know, what they were trying to achieve. So if a right. team, if, if there's members of a team that don't understand the vision behind the product or the reason the product exists in the first place, that's going to be a huge issue here, right? Yeah, of course. And that, that vision and gaining that alignment from the top all the way down to the most junior person is extremely important. And that's one of the things that builds trust from the leader's perspective to the team. The team will start to trust the leader if they have more transparent information into the why are we doing something and, and linking the work that they're doing back up to a strategic goal of the company is a huge way to gain that trust because it, it, empowers the people to not just do their day-to-day tasks, but actually impact how the business is performing in the market. And I think that is, you know, huge to building that trust and getting that alignment between the C-suite and the, you know, newest hire on the team. So where does this fit in with, with the leading agile approach with the base camp model? Because I know at the, I mean, at the first, at the lowest level in base camp one, we're just trying to get stable teams that can make and meet commitments and have a decent backlog. But where do we start to worry about whether or not they understand the vision and that management is creating space for them to run experiments and to learn and to to grow? I think it really starts with forming teams in Basecamp 1, to be honest with you, Dave, because we need to enable that team to have a working agreement that that they're building on their own and making those agreements. So as we're forming the teams and designing the governance model to get predictable and deliver with quality in Basecamp 1, um, we're, starting, we're starting that path. And I think that that path you know, continues to evolve as we move through the Basecamps. But without that um, trust the leaders have in the system, uh, we won't achieve Basecamp 1 because all of the uh, shoulder tapping and course corrections that happen when when you're in a top-down leaders make decisions will actually impact the system and the folks inside of the system in those teams will start to distrust that the system is even important and they'll start just going back to their old habits. So I think we need to really get out ahead of this um, issue of, you know, leaders making decisions to trusting the employees to make decisions as soon as we start our expedition and get the teams formed and their workflow agreed upon and all those things, because they're going to set, they're going to set the tone for the decisions they're going to make inside the system. And they're also going to set the tone for decisions that may work outside the system and how they're going to orchestrate those decisions um, outside of the system. And so we're really inform the teams starting that, that path. Okay. So if you, if you, if I was a, somebody working at a company and you came in and and talked to me about this stuff, um, I'm going to assume that most people in a leadership role 
have uh, a higher uh, I mean, higher expectation of their skill level as a leader than they may evidence. Um, how how do you encourage people? To, like, how would somebody do us like a self assessment or to figure out like if they are actually kind of hitting the mark for what you're looking for for leadership? Or or what are some some examples of things that would that would demonstrate skill in that area? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I think, um, I think there's not a ton of great ways to measure this. I think what we need to look at from a, you know, leadership skills perspective is, you know, really what does the team think of you? You know, like (laughs) does the team trust you or is the team worried that you're going to come in and start breaking stuff? Like I have a, a situation in a client where, um, you know, the team came together and created their rules of engagement, you know, for how they're going to do release planning. And the, one of the leaders keeps coming in and trying to break it because they're not sharing, uh, that why are we doing this? They're just trying to get stuff slammed into the system to meet our, you know, the dates that other people are aligning. So instead of saying, Hey, the team has a system for planning this work, and we're going to trust the team to get this work planned. Um, there's like the chaos part of this person coming in and, and shaking stuff up and going against their agreed upon process. And so instead of working with the team and saying, Hey, like this process is great. However, we need to be able to do X, Y, and Z faster. What can I do to, to enable you to get faster on these things? It's, Hey, let's have a all day meeting so we can shuffle around things and fit it in without providing the context of um, why it's so important to the business. And so I think when you look at creating conditions for success from a leadership perspective, it's about transitioning what you're looking at, you know? So instead of thinking of making predictions, you're thinking of, we need to learn how to get stuff done. So let's go to a discovery mindset as opposed to a, I know everything mindset. Let's not use our authority. Let's build structured partnerships with the team inside of the system to make sure that they understand what we're doing and what the context of what we're doing on are. Let's not focus on the outputs of roles. Let's focus on the outcomes that we need to accomplish you know, get out of the weeds of looking at every little piece of work that a team's working on and start manage that system. And then instead of worrying about meeting a date with precision and getting every little thing done, let's figure out what we're doing from a progress perspective, get feedback on there and update what we're doing. You know, we may learn something that removes the need for you know, five features, but adds the need for one feature. So if we have to change that plan to, to take those five features out and get this one feature in, let's just be transparent about that. And let's focus on the outcome of the product, which is, you know, linked back to a strategic goal of customer acquisition, customer retention, you know, some kind of strategic goal that this product is going to do for us. And I think that's where people with a management mindset of people kind of lose sight and they start trying to manage what they're doing day to day instead of focusing on the, the outcomes and how the system is enabling them to deliver. Okay. So you also, you mentioned the word authority. I want to kind of go to that word for a minute. Is it safe to assume that if somebody in a leadership role is 
I'm going to use the word managing, even though it's not the right word. If they're using their authority as the lever there to get stuff done, that that is the opposite of what you're suggesting. Do this because I'm yeah, in charge. No, that's, that's great. And I think, um, I think that kind of links back to this, this point I have when I talk about this to folks is that managers use their authority to create fear and then they use that fear as currency to get what they want done. So instead of enabling that partnership where the leader is just part of the team and their job is to set that context and vision and clear blockers for the team getting to that end vision, they start to use things um, like you're not going to get your bonus if you don't get all this done or, you know, you're not going to get that promotion. Right. And they use this perceived authority or power over their employees to get what they want done without um, the transparency of why they're doing it. It's like the, the do it because I said so type of thing that your mom used to do when you're yeah. going to stick a fork in the electrical socket, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, at the oh. time don't do that, but maybe we should explain the why so that as soon as mom leaves the room, you don't jam your fork into the light socket, you know, because she's not watching you anymore. And I think like that type of that transparency and leadership that parents have in explaining why you need to have nice manners or why you need to be respectful to people um, instead of just saying do it is how the teen learns the lesson, but also how the child begins to trust that their parent has the, the parents have the best interests of the child in mind and not just um, trying to get them to do their will. Right. And I think that's the, the deviation between managing people and leading people. But just to stick with that, you know, the, the kid analogy for a second, I, I remember the first time that like my, my daughter was young and she started to walk out into the street and I like yanked her back really hard and was like, don't do that. Um, I really, that's not the kind of parent that I wanted to be, but in that moment, like I'm trying to keep her safe from getting hit by a car and I need to like stamp this moment and be like, look, this is a really big deal. And that was the only tool I had at my disposal at that time. Um, if I was to take a child and try to explain to them, look, let's talk about why we don't want to walk in the street. None of that's going to resonate. Um, do you think that there are moments when a more direct command type of approach is necessary or valid? Yeah, sometimes it is, but it shouldn't be our overarching thing. Like if you're in a tactical situation and you need to make an immediate course correction, then sometimes we're going to have to do it, right? Like if, if you know that your daughter is going to get hit by a car, like definitely need to pull her back onto the safe side of the, the parking lot or whatever. Right. But you can also, that, that's a huge teaching moment too, because your daughter is going to see that you're scared and not understand why, which might freak her out. And if you don't address it right after you make that tactical course correction and explain the why you made the tactical course correction, um, then now your daughter is going to have a, um, overdeveloped fear of walking in a parking lot where you need her to be aware that there's cars in the parking lot so she doesn't get run over. But at the same time, not you scared want her of parking to, lots. Right, right. Yeah. You don't want her to have like some kind of irrational fear of getting out of the car, you know, to go to Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. Right. You still want well, her to be I excited to do, go to Chuck did, E. Cheese. I did want that. Never wanted to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Um, 
<laughs> so, but th- so there's another aspect of that teaching moment too, because for me, it taught me like, damn, I need other ways of dealing with this. I need better tools. Um, th- but that, that causes yeah. a lot of vulnerability. I think I'm wondering if you can comment on that, like to, to be a good leader, you have to be open and transparent and vulnerable with the people that you're trying to lead to a certain extent. Yeah. And you know, the, the more open and vulnerable you are with folks, the faster you're going to build a trusting relationship. I mean, if you think about the relationships you have in your life outside of work, you know, your best friend or your you know partner has the most information about you and knows everything, everything about you, your deepest, darkest secrets, your fears, your goals, right? And that's the best relationship you have. And in a lot of successful uh, partnerships like that, you know, sometimes one partner leads and the other one follows and sometimes they switch roles. And in my experience, that type of relationship is the best form of leadership because both people are vulnerable and having the courage to give, you know, all of themselves to somebody else and trust is built through that in a way that, um, no matter what's going on, if, you know, like in my situation, if my girlfriend's better at something than me, like, you know, doing calendars, the, she leads when we do calendars and I support her to do that. And if it's, you know, something that I'm better at, which I'm not sure what it is, I'm sure there's something out there, then, uh, you know, I take the lead. You're in really that, good in at doing regard. podcast interviews. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can definitely, <laughs> I might be able to teach her one or two things about doing podcast interviews, Dave. That's true. But otherwise, you know, it's depending on the situation, like in our situation, if we're going through the airport, like I drag her behind me, making sure that we get to the gate on time because I'm really good at navigating. My sense of direction is really good. And I have this like irrational anxiety of missing a flight. Right. So uh, I'll like pull her along. I'll take all of her bags and, you know, say, stick close to me. I know this airport, let's get through it. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, organization across, you know, multiple calendars and all that thing, like that's, she's amazing at that. So I just do what I can to support her in getting that done. And I think leaders need to have a similar relationship with their employees and their employees with their leaders. Like the, the leader needs to trust that the employees are going to do what they say they're going to do and give them the space to do that. And the employees need to trust that the leader, as soon as something starts to go bad, isn't going to come in and completely disrupt uh, everything that the teams are doing. And I think that's a delicate balance and it requires some opening up on both ends and some, you know, personal discussions to create a solid team. Because if you just only talk about work to your, to your employees, they're never going to have the care to trust you outside of anything other than, you know, what you're showing at work and having that vulnerability and, and exposing yourself a little bit really helps with that. I think that the, the airport example is really, really good. And I have a similar situation like when, because, you know, we both travel so much. When you do that, you have a way, like you go to the airport a certain way, you go through a gate at a time. You always go to the same places in, the, in this right order. Cause you're doing your like a little pre-flight, you know, alone time thing. When I travel with my wife and my daughter, they go in like the opposite direction. And I'm like, no, wait, you don't understand. We have to do this and then this and then this. And 
I'm trying to lead because I know I have a very efficient way, right, of, of navigating right. the, my experience in the airport. But the thing that I noticed was I'm managing towards a certain, you know, trying to minimize my stress and things like that. But I miss out on a bunch of stuff. Like they'll go look at the different places to eat and then the little shops. And if I do that, then I'm like, you know what, this is kind of actually kind of fun. Um, I think that if you don't take the time to listen to the people that you're working with and to see what they can teach you, you're, you're missing out. I mean, there could be things they'll think of with the product you're trying to build that you never would have thought of. Yeah, exactly. And like, if we're going somewhere and we get there a few hours early, you know, like I'll walk around the whole airport. I don't care, you know, but if it's like a 45 minute flight change in a foreign country or in a busy airport, you know, when we're landing, I'm like, all right, I know where to go. Let's get out of here. Let's yeah. get this done. And then if we have some time when we get to the gate, let's check out like the restaurants around there. Maybe we can bring something on the plane, you know? So I think that's where you get back to that, like, you know, tactical course correction type stuff, right? Like we, we have this tactical problem we need to make a course correction on, but if you communicate, you know, why you're making the tactical course correction and why it's so urgent, then it's really easy for the the team or your partner to kind of adapt to that and, you know, go, okay, in this situation, we need to do it this way. And I'm going to support this because we need to make this plane because if we miss the plane, then we can't fly out till tomorrow. And there's all these things that could happen that are going to make, you know, the trip less fun. Um, even if we're checking out, you know, the Dunkin' Donuts on the way, like, right. uh, and that's always fun, but you know, maybe we can check out the Dunkin' Donuts closer to the gate because they're pretty much all the same in the airport anyway. And I think like, that's the difference. And when you talk about, you know, pulling your daughter back in, you know, I've done that to, you know, my children and other people's children, because, you know, I would never want to watch anybody get hit by a car unless it's, you know, some jackass movie or something. That's fun, <laughs> you know, but, you know, certainly want to see a, a child get hit by a car. So I've done the same thing, but I think it's really important that once you make that tactical adjustment, you know, before you go in to do whatever, you know, parking to do, have that conversation really quick. Hey, you scared me uh, because I didn't want you to get hit by a car. That would be awful. You know, parking lots can be dangerous. You're really short, so people can't see you. So it makes me nervous. So would you please, you know, be more careful and make sure that you're looking both ways and stand next to the car until I'm next to you. I mean, whatever the the yeah. overarching goal you want the child and the new behavior you want the child to exhibit, you know, you definitely need to have that conversation, but making um, a reaction in the moment isn't necessarily a problem. It's only a problem if you don't, Explain you know, why. immediately reinforce the why. So the why we're building the thing in the first place, the why you acted the way you did in a certain moment, that's always going to be a critical thing for a leader to make sure that the people they're working with understand. Even if it's something they don't necessarily emotionally buy into, they need to understand the motivator for the leader's behavior. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like everyone's human and everyone's going to make mistakes. I mean, a leader could make a tactical decision and it could be wrong in the moment, but that, you know, that vulnerability or courage to, you know, have the discussion afterwards and, and also the leader learn why the decision was wrong in the moment, or, you know, the employees to learn why what they were doing was wrong in the moment and the leader had to make an adjustment, you know, like that's okay. I think that 
if you just make the adjustment and walk away and wait for the next weekly project meeting to explain it, there's a week of time where the employees are going to be like, I don't understand what the hell's going on. Like, why does, you know, Roth come in here and make these crazy decisions and, you know, it doesn't align to the the vision and alignment that we already had of what this product was going to do. And the case may very well be that, you know, the leader just had different information um, or a different take because they just had a meeting with the board or with the shareholders or with the other executives and they need the course correct. And that's all well and good. Just, you know, communicate, say, Hey, I was wrong. I misunderstood this direction. Like, we have to make this adjustment to stay aligned to what the business wants to achieve with this product. And I, I think people will respect leaders more um, if they're like, Hey, I made a mistake. I learned something we're adjusting. And the quicker that we can get those learnings and make those adjustments, the the better. And the team can still produce the product in time and scope. But when you hide the motivators for why you're making you know, different decisions or tactical adjustments, uh, people just start to kind of resent you because, uh, you know, they, you told them one thing and now you're doing a different thing, right? Yeah. So um, I think that's really important to just keep that that line of communication clear and open and transparent, you know? And sometimes there may be things that are confidential and you can skirt around them, you know? And the the leader's job is to figure out how to message that course correction in a way that provides comfort to the people inside of the system. Well, I think if you build the trust to say, like, look, I can't tell you why right now, but this is what we need to be able to do. I think that if you've, you know, you talked about currency before, the currency from fear, I think if you can earn some trust, you can spend some of that in moments like that. Um, I also I also find that, for, and I, I never know how it's received, but for me, whether I am, um, you know, taking a failure bow and apologizing to somebody that I'm working with or to my daughter or somebody, you know, that I'm teaching with, that's always a really powerful teaching moment. Like I learn a lot from those moments. Like, you know, what, what does it take for me to do this? How, how exposed do I feel when I, when I do this and how much stronger do I feel after I've said to them, look, you know what, I screwed this up and I'm sorry. And here's what I was trying to do. and, And maybe I can, you can help me find a better way to do it next time. I feel like I get stronger every time I do that. Yeah. And I think like, that's one of the huge things about like doing retrospectives, like throughout the entire organization, you can really take those retrospectives and create that vulnerability amongst everyone on the team, you know, where there's a trust that in the retrospective, if, you know, engineer Ross screwed up a line of code and it, you know, created an escape defect, but I, like I'm owning it and asking for help on how to get better with that, you know, leader Dave can say a similar story, you know, like maybe you've done that before, or maybe you made a different mistake during this process, whatever the the time is for the retrospective. And everybody is, is providing that vulnerability and everybody's saying, Hey, you know, like we're not perfect. We're human. We make these mistakes, but we can always take them as a teaching moment and not as a uh, fear of loss moment. And I think like that, that trust needs to be there first, right? Because, um, you know, the leader may understand that their job's safe or whatever, but the, the employee may always be worried that, you know, one screw up is going to mean that they're out of a job and they're going to have to find another job. And we need to create that safety for the teams to understand that, you know, 
everybody in the team is important and valuable and everybody's human and we're going to make mistakes and how do we move forward and, and learn from those mistakes as a group, as opposed to, um, you know, get punished for making mistakes. Yeah. And I think, you know, it depends on the mistake, right? Like if it's a, a moral mistake or something like that, that's a little bit different, but if it's a, you know, I was doing my work and I screwed up and I made a mistake, you know, in my work, like, that gets handled a lot differently and that transparency is really important. And I think leaders have a, um, a responsibility to make everyone understand that everyone in the system is, is a human and has the ability to make mistakes, even them. And I think a lot of times uh, leaders, especially with, you know, strong ego driven leaders will try to have this place of authority, not only in a command and control perspective would be the one with all the information and with all the knowledge and are infallible for making mistakes. And I think that causes a lot of distrust of the team. Yeah. Cause we all know that everybody makes mistakes. Um, Right. So we haven't really said anything about the system. I feel like that the whole gist of this is really about leadership, but, but there was a thing that you said about um, leading people. Can you talk about that and, and how that extends into the system? Yeah. So, I mean, if, if we create the conditions for success of, of having leaders in our organization, right, we still need to manage the system because the system isn't necessarily infallible either, even though it's uh, system-based as opposed to people-based, right? So if we focus in our, our leaders to create that trusted relationship and structured partnership with the teams and get focused on what and when things need to happen. Now the leader is going to think, you know, if I'm not telling, you know, Dave what to do on a day-to-day basis, I'm not being a good leader. What we want them to do is take a step back and monitor and respond to how the system is enabling those teams to deliver. And what we use to do that is, delivery metrics inside of the system. And so we can say, you know, after a few sprints, okay, there's a bottleneck in this step of the workflow. Let's get the teams together to discuss this bottleneck and come up with potential solutions, right? So it could be like a bottleneck in the test process. um, And that might be the step in the workflow that's there, like your validation step. But the, the bottleneck could be somewhere else. It could be availability of the product owner to accept work. It could be um, a test environment isn't ready and we can't run the test through, right? So there, it's not, hey, Dave, you're not testing. Let's go fix Dave and get him refocused on testing. It's, hey, let's investigate why testing isn't happening and tweak the system or remove a, an impediment that's creating the bottleneck. And that that type of, you know, iterating on the system and making the system as, you know, infallible as possible over time is what the manager's or leader's new focus needs to be, not on the day-to-day, hey, Dave, have you thought about using Cucumber to test instead of this other tool? Or have you thought about, you know, using a Windows PC instead of a Mac because Windows PCs are where all the businesses are, you know, whatever the, you know, silly tactical day-to-day fix the person stuff needs to move to fix the system. Yeah. I think that there's a really subtle point that you made in there. I want to make sure it resonates with people that the metrics are not about improving people. Like if you 
if you're going to be looking at metrics, velocity or escape defects or whatever that is, assume that people are amazing. Use the metrics to find the broken parts of the system that you can fix so the amazing people can, be more, can deliver more amazing stuff. Yeah, that's spot on. And, that, you know, the other part is, it's like if you want to be people focused, and I know in our last interview you talked about, you know, when you switch to a scrub master, you're more focused on, on the people in the team. Yeah. And I think, like, if you want to focus on the people, it's how do I expand how do I expand the people's responsibility or how do I enable the people to learn more about their job and be, you know, the best, whatever they are in the system possible from an experience and knowledge perspective, as opposed to do it the way I do it because I've done this before and I'm awesome. It's like, how do we get opportunities for that person to grow um, in what they're doing? And I think like that, that part of leadership still needs to happen through training programs and, you know, job rotations or whatever the case is, right? Like get the, those people the most information possible to be the best part of the system possible, but also focus back in on my day-to-day management of the system. And that system includes, in, you know, improving our people from a career progression perspective, not improving the the day-to-day work that they're doing from a, you know, quote unquote work quality perspective, because the system, the system will have the the governance and controls in place to make sure that the work's quality. Yeah. And so we need to trust that the system is doing, is setting the environment for them to do the right thing and produce the most quality product possible, knowing that the system isn't perfect and it's going to need to improve, but let's figure out how to improve the system. Yeah. And I would say, kind of going to back adding to what you just said and kind of climbing on the back of what you said earlier um inspiring them to rise up to this new way of working and manage themselves so that they're always getting better but that it's driven internally not from me like not me saying you get better them saying we want to get better let's find a way we can get better yeah exactly and that kind of that openness and communication will really enable that thought as well. You know, going back to the, the, the partnership analogy, it's like the more you communicate with your partner, the more that they will understand, you know, what they can do to help you improve yourself, you know, over time. Right. Whether that's like, in my case, like communication was always an issue in interpersonal relationships and it's something I want to get better on, you know, and, and if I wasn't open and transparent with that, then, you know, my partner wouldn't understand that that's, you know, something that I'm working on. And, you know, she has more increased patience with me because that's something that I am transparent about being a deficiency, right. Where, you know, getting through an airport is something I'm super confident that I can do. And, but I also need to work on my communication because I need to let, you know, her know I'm nervous about getting to the next gate when we're switching flights. Right. So, um, I think like, it's just this cycle of, you know, being open and honest and communicative while still, um, being vulnerable, but also, uh, taking the space that, that, that team is giving you. And I think that's, that's really important too. Like we need to let our teams know and our employees know that that we're giving them the space inside the system and we expect them to take that space and start making those decisions or, you know, doing the things they need to do to get the product out of the market. Yeah. I think that taking the space thing is really important. Um, 
If people want to learn more about this, I mean, are there, are there sources you can recommend where they can study up on or, or different aspects of leadership or ways of assessing their own leadership or being more vulnerable or creating space for people? Yeah, I don't know if you're going to like it, but um, there is a book called Turn the Ship Around, which... Um, I love that it, book. It's a boat reference. Yeah. No, so, I, so that, that would be the one... He's the one exception. <laughs> and he's got a new book, too, called um, the uh, Leadership is Language, which is even better than Turn the Ship Around. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I think Turn the Ship Around, if you read it um, without really understanding the fundamentals of the military, it could actually be uh, negative, but really... Um, it's about people being experts in their roles and understanding what they have to do to make the ship go in a direction. And, you know, the leader setting the conditions that and giving them the space to do the things that they're experts in. And I think when you, when you think about, you know, this in the construct of product delivery, you're going to have product experts, architecture experts, you know, uh, packaging experts needing to give them the space to do things. But I also don't want the person who does, uh, product road mapping to uh, take over what the architect's doing because they're they're not the expert in that area. So it's also about having trust about the people around you on the team. Then the other one I really like is in um, my my first book I read with the Leading Agile Book Club was uh, Getting Naked with Patrick Lencioni because I feel like it talks about um, being courageous and and you know not being so self conscious when you're when you're working with folks. And I think that's awesome. And then, uh, you know, there's a ton of things out there. You know, a lot of my references are military based, but um, I think also We Were Soldiers uh, is a great book. And there was a movie about it as well, um, about the Idrang Valley um, battle in Vietnam. So that's another great one um, to check out. And that's about all I would say for that. If cool. you have anything, I'd be interested in hearing yours. Thoughts, Steve. I was just going to say Brene Brown, but she's pretty much my reference for everything right now. I'm obsessed with the <laughs> stuff that she does. So, um, right Dare to Lead is a great book. It is a great place to start. What if they want to get in touch with you? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, LinkedIn's usually the best way uh, or email. So feel free to reach out. Cool. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate you doing this. And thanks for the lessons. Yeah, Dave. It's always this. a pleasure, man. Thank you. 